This is The Fabric Podcast. In this episode, we've captured some of our live gatherings celebrating Easter in our own fabric way, of course. You'll hear the voices of Amanda and Chris Moon in a reading, and Greg Meyer and Heidi Esposito with reflections focused around the idea of how life begins in the dark. Happy Easter. I'm Greg Meyer. It is fabulous to see all of you here today. Yeah, Easter is a pretty special time, although here in 21st century United States of America, that mostly means, um, you know, bunnies, chocolate, uh, eggs, and uh, pastel colors, and, you know, life coming back after its long winter retreat. Easter could do worse. I mean, at least that life part, I mean, that's pretty intrinsic to what Easter means to be about. So I don't know exactly where you are in all this, whether you're a church person or not, whether you know the Bible stories that Easter comes from or not, but basically probably most of you are generally familiar with the fact that Easter comes a couple days after the day where Jesus died, he's crucified, he's hung on a you know, couple of cross-shaped timbers left to die, and then on this day, his followers go and they find the tomb that he'd been left in was empty. And Jesus is alive again. That's something to wrap your head around. I mean, clearly a turning point in the story and, uh, yeah, something new, something really important being said about who Jesus is. But, you know, it's reminding us that there is this promise of life, that death is not the last word in all things. Anyway, that is where the story usually goes for most people, right? And kind of like the chocolate Easter bunny in the pastel-colored box, it's not the whole story. It's not the whole story. There's more to it there. Um, so let's go back to this story and not just notice what we expect to hear, but what is actually said in the story. But before we do that, just a quick note. Reading the Bible is tricky. Let me rephrase that. Reading the Bible is very tricky. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, this, the Bible was not written by people like us. So if you read the Bible and you're expecting a history book or something like a newspaper report, it's not going to work well, all right? I mean, these are first century Hebrew or, uh, you know, or uh, Greek thinkers 2,000 years ago. And our standards, what we think about of, you know, objectivity for history or the detail to an accuracy for a newspaper report was not on their agenda. They did not share those with us. So, so what I mean is, if you're reading a Bible story, like this one that you're going to hear in a minute, and what goes through your mind is, did it really happen like that? Or is this really true? You're being distracted from the point. Those writers back there were trying to get a message across. That is where their truth is going to be found. Our fascination with historical objectivity and detailed accuracy, that, you know, that's ours, and they did not share it, right? So what is the story? What is the message that they were trying to get across? Let's slow down from our hurry to get to that bright and glorious day and listen to what is really said. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. 
He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings laying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings laying there. Then the other disciple also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the writings, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. We are so programmed to hear what we expect that we often miss what is said. Did you hear it? That whole story happened in the dark. Either the darkness of the not-quite-yet-dawn or the darkness of it hasn't-quite-yet-dawned on them, right? The followers of Jesus didn't get it yet. Interestingly, this story that we now, the story of that morning that we now call Easter is recorded in all four books in the Bible that tells the stories of Jesus' life. We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there aren't a lot of stories that are in all four Gospels. I mean, not even the Christmas story of Jesus' birth. It's only in two. But this isn't all four. And while the details that they bother to record are varied, one thing that they all have in common is it all happens in the dark. And the people, Jesus' followers, they remain in the dark even after this story. What we are meant to take from this is that being in the dark isn't a character flaw on their part. No, the darkness is part of the message. It isn't bad. The dark is where something is happening that we can't quite see. Life begins in the dark. Now, you may remember that Jesus spent three days in the darkness of a tomb. Why? I mean, did he need to do that? Now, remember, these first century writers were not concerned with accuracy on the details, but to try to get us a message. And there's something going on here that was important, very important for us to hear and to understand. And what they're trying to tell us is that these three days in the darkness of the tomb are pointing at the fact that sometimes becoming takes time. And sometimes the time that that becoming takes happens in the dark. Now, maybe you're starting to get a little uncomfortable being in the dark here. Um, we don't usually do that, right? I mean, and it's Easter morning after all. Isn't it supposed to be bright and cheery? But that's a good question. I mean, is it supposed to be bright and cheery right now? I mean, here, here's my question. Is Easter about being bright and cheery, or is Easter about life and hope? Because they aren't the same thing. 
I think, and my guess is most of you probably agree with me on this, that Easter is actually about life and hope. And life begins in the dark. And so does hope. And I wonder, do we miss something? Are we missing something really important when we jump too fast to that bright and shiny day? Are we keeping something from being born? You know, what I've noticed is that we as human beings, we tend to share a couple of things. We share a fear of the dark, and we share a love affair with the light. And that isn't always so healthy for us. Today, we want to celebrate life. We want to hold on to that hope, that promise that Easter gives us. But we also want to explore the dark, that side of the Easter story as well, that part of your story as well, because there's darkness in all of our stories. And we don't do this to deprive you of the light, but to let you have the whole of life, not just the part that is found in the light, but also the part that is found in the dark. So, welcome to the dark. Welcome to the dark. Welcome to the dark. Welcome to the dark. It all starts. Welcome to the dark. Welcome to the dark. Welcome to the dark. Well, I have a story about being in the dark. A couple of weeks ago, we were playing a game called Sardines with the Fabric Middle Schoolers. Now, if you haven't played that game before, it's a little bit like hide and seek, except, well, in reverse, because just one person hides and everyone goes to seek that person. And as soon as they find them, then they hide with that person until everyone has sort of squished in the same space. Now, the other thing about the game Sardines is it's played in the dark. So we're at the fabric office, which if you haven't been there before, it's in an old church building. So it has the greatest hiding places, lots of nooks and crannies and weird spots in it. So we're playing, and I get to a place, and I'm playing like this. You know, because I think, oh my gosh, I'm going to step off a cliff at any moment, or maybe I'm going to step on a snake, or maybe someone's going to jump out at me at any minute. But then I had to stop myself and remind myself that I had been in that place many, many times, and there are no cliffs, there has never been any snakes, and to this date, nothing has ever jumped out at me. And until I remembered that, I was petrified, and I was missing out on all the great, fun stuff that was happening in the dark and in the game. So it's a good reminder to me to always just take a moment and think about what I'm missing when I'm not playing in the dark. So I'm Heidi Esposito, and I want to wish you a happy Easter. And I brought some Eastery things that are undercover right here. I wonder if you can guess what they are. Any ideas? Eggs. You guys are so smart. Yes, I brought along some giant Easter eggs because I think they can, we can peek into those and we can start to get an idea of all the amazing 
and wondrous things that happen in the dark. So let's start with this one. Oh, it says fragile, so I'm not going to even shake this one. Ooh. Can you see? Yeah. Eggs, right? Inside, in the dark, in these eggs, life begins. So if you're a snake or a turtle or a little chick or a duck or a bird, your life starts in the dark in these eggs. All right, that was pretty cool. Bye-bye. Those are fake, too. (laughs) All right, this one. All right, let's see. Shakes a little bit. Maybe I better not shake this one too hard either. Oh, okay, this is a model, too, but pretty cool. Yeah, this is a chrysalis. Mysteriously transforming a caterpillar into a butterfly. I mean, all of this happens in the dark where we can't even see it happening, right? I mean, think about it. This caterpillar starts to transform and create a chrysalis around itself. And then I learned that almost the entire caterpillar turns into some oozy goo before it starts the transformation into a butterfly. And all of this happens where we can't even see it. All right, that one was pretty cool too. All right, let's see what's in this one. Hmm. Well, this one is some leaves. And it says, do not disturb on it. Oops, I have it backwards, sorry. Do not disturb on it. And there's another clue inside that says, shh, baby larva sleeping. Yeah, so this, these leaves that are left over from the fall are called leaf litter, and they are teeming with life. I mean, microbes are busy working to break things into smaller and smaller pieces so that they can be both consumed and excreted by all kinds of creatures like wood lice and millipedes and fly larvae and even moths and butterflies too. And it's also creating an incredibly rich place for your grass and your plants to grow. And all of this is happening, you guys can join me, in the dark, right? Okay, last one here. Hmm. Well, I don't know, that's kind of just boring, you guys. It's just, well, it's just some dirt. Nothing really going on too much there. Hmm. Well, I wonder what it could be. Oh, (laughs) hey, what do you got there, Jen? Oh, look at this. It's a bulb. And seeds and bulbs have to go underground in the dark to do their work. And if they didn't go in the dark, they wouldn't start to transform and grow these beautiful roots and grow up into good things that we can eat or maybe something beautiful like this. And the thing about seeds and bulbs that I think are so cool is not only do they have to go in the dark, but they also need the light, right? They need the light from the sunshine in order to grow. So I think it's a good reminder that 
Life begins in the dark and also needs the light too. And I just want to end by here by saying that while I normally think about Easter as brightly colored Easter eggs or the sunshine of a spring day, but I think these eggs have helped me remember that life actually begins in the dark. Thanks, Heidi. Yeah, it's an important reminder for us. You know, we, we give the dark a bum rap. You know, it's, uh, the Bible does the same thing quite often as well, equating darkness with things that are, you know, either dangerous or bad or lacking. And I get it because, you know, when we're deprived of light, we are also deprived of uh, the, way, the main way most of us navigate the world, and that is through our eyesight and so on. And so, you know, when we don't have that, then we're not quite sure what to do. We feel uneasy and, um, you know, we get scared. And it's not a big step to go from there to saying, well, things that are dark then are bad. But, you know, that maybe isn't quite right. You know, society has taken this a step further and even applied that idea to people who have dark skin or who have traits that we don't understand and don't know how to deal with and so on. And so we think of them as not as good or something defective about them because of the darkness that we label them with. But, but while the darkness does require more patience, it requires caution and it does ask a different set of skills from us. To assume, therefore, that it is bad is to miss the life-giving side of the dark. The Bible also does recognize that life-giving side of the dark quite a bit. In fact, I mean, the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, is this incredible poem about creation, this poem about God's, uh, it paints God's relationship with, with all things, with the land, with the uh, sun, the moon, the stars, with the seas, with land, with uh, all living things, including us. And in that rhythm of doing that, it doesn't say that God unsuccessfully tried to drive out the dark with the light. No, God makes room for both light and dark. In fact, in that rhythm of day after day after day of creation, at the end of each one, it says, and then there was evening and there was morning. There was darkness and there was light. And to which God says, it is good. Or Abraham. Abraham's the father of the three religions of uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And Abraham, in searching for his destiny, trying to figure it all out, he's Yahweh, I am who I am, God, comes to Abraham at night. And he calls him out of the comfort and the self-created illumination of his home out, outside into the dark and says, look up, see these stars that you cannot even count? It is in the dark that you will see your future. When we lose the dark, light loses its partner, and life loses half of its presence. So what do we fail to remember about darkness and about light? You know, I think with darkness, first of all, darkness reminds us that there are some things in the world that are uncertain. And that makes us uncomfortable. It's kind of scary, kind of like darkness, right? But really, uncertainty just means that there's something left for you to learn. This means that there is perhaps more than one way to where you're trying to go in life. Uncertainty isn't bad. Uncertainty is the truth of the world that we live in. And yes, it is challenging. We also miss that darkness teaches us that we need each other. 
In the darkness, we have that urge that, we, that tells us we don't want to be alone. And we find that darkness promises rest. It promises quiet. It, uh, it gives us this space and this uh, reminder that there are other senses that we can use to explore our world. It gives us a place where metamorphosis, where formation, where incubation can happen. And don't forget, darkness is for exploring, isn't it? I mean, darkness is wonderful. It's beautiful. It's, it's amazing. It is full of mystery and wonder. And, and face it, the darkness is exciting, isn't it? And then what about light? Light, on the other hand, all right? I mean, other than the obvious, you know, our love affair for light, there's another side to it, isn't there? I mean, too much light is bleaching. It, it bakes. We can be blinded by the light. We're washed out. We're dried out. And the light can tempt us to be too certain, too absolute in a world that is actually very messy and uncertain. And light gives us the illusion of independence, of thinking, well, I can see it from here. I can do this by myself. I can do it on my own. In light, there can be too much noise, too much distraction, the constant doing of things. And we can overlook the gifts that our other senses want to share with us about the world around us. And it, Jesus didn't skip to the dark. Jesus' life showed us that there are some things that can only be seen in the dark. And they are beautiful, and they are wonderful. Now, I'm sure your mind has already gone there. You know this isn't only about physical darkness, right? I think there are things that you think of as darkness that are within you, and that's true for all of us. They are neither bad, nor are they to be ignored. If you see those hidden things within yourself as bad, it is probably because you have not learned to live with them. It is probably because you are afraid to greet them and to learn from them. But part of the story of Easter is that those parts of you are not to be forgotten. They are not to be avoided. You are, they are to be included as part of life. So, what if? What if those parts of you that are in the dark aren't there because they are bad, but because something is being born there. A new idea, a new understanding, a new possibility, maybe a new life that's growing from something that had died. Yeah, you know, it seemed to be part of Jesus' message that Easter isn't only found in the light of day and that brightness sets around us, but also in the dark too. In fact, like you've been hearing, that is where life begins. So, how can we be Easter people? I know, that's a kind of a real weird, kind of religious-y sounding thing, but what it means is like, how can we be people of life and hope? Because I think that's not a bad thing to be. A couple things that come to my mind. Think twice about eliminating the physical darkness around yourself and around your family. Maybe that darkness isn't something to be afraid of, something to come in out of, but rather it's something to go out into. Uh, you know, maybe it's something that we want to have more part of our lives. It, it, definitely, darkness is to be respected, but it's also to be explored. It is a place of wonder and mystery and exploration. And also, I would think twice about ignoring the darkness that is within you as well. I mean, after all, 
maybe it is just like the darkness around us. Maybe that darkness within you is more to be greeted and to be known than it is to be feared. Something to be amazed by, not afraid of. Um, last thought. A little quiz here for you all. What is the most common phrase that's found in the Bible? Anybody know? Yeah, I've heard a couple people say it already. Do not be afraid. 365 times in the Bible that phrase comes up. It's an interesting number, 365, but we won't go there right now, okay? All right, but 365 times. And who usually says it? An angel, right. An angel says it. An angel, the word for angel just simply means messenger. So there's this celestial messenger coming and saying, do not be afraid. And when does that angel typically come to give the message? At night, when you're sleeping, maybe in a dream, in the dark, right? So here's where I'm going with that. Over and over and over and over and again in the Bible, we get this message that comes to us when we are in the dark, and that message does not say, come into the light. That message says, do not be afraid, because life begins in the dark. So, you know, the, the message of Easter, I bet you've got it, is really about light and dark. It's not about light rather than dark. No, it's, you know, life begins in the dark and then it continues in the light. And we need both parts. We can't have light without the dark. And our job as Fabric, our role at Fabric is to help all of us, each and every one of us, you know, live night and day. And we do that best when we do it together. Thanks for listening. We hope these conversations are helpful and connective. You can find out more about Fabric at fabricmpls.com. There you can find notes from previous conversations and other resources for deepening your relationships with the threads of yourself, others, and that third strand we often call God. You can also find ways of connecting to a group, whether you're in the Twin Cities or not. You can join in supporting this community financially, too. It's through the generous giving of people like you that Fabric is sustained. Again, that's fabricmpls.com. Thanks for being Fabric in your unique way. Welcome to the dark.